0: section x of heroines of fiction by william dean howells this librivox recording is in the public domain book i chapter x a heroine of bulwer's many proofs of the fact that a novel is great or not as its women are important or unimportant might be alleged there are exceptions to the rule but they are among novels of ages and countries different from ours as we approach our own time women in fiction become more and more interesting and are of greater consequence than the men in fiction and the skill with which they are portrayed is more and more a test of mastery by this test the romantic novel shows its inferiority if by no other we have only to compare the work of richardson goldsmith Francis burney maria edgeworth jane austen thackeray george eliot mr thomas hardy mr george moore mr henry james harold frederick mr george W. cable miss mary e wilkins mrs humphrey ward and the other realistic or realescent novelists with that of the romanticists in order to see how vast this inferiority is if we go outside of our own language we must note the supremacy of women in the fiction of goethe manzoni balzac turgenev zola maupassant Bjornson, valdez galdoz verga and sudermann these masters have presented women livingly winningly convincingly as no master of romance has the greatest exception that occurs to me is of course hawthorne but even he created his most lifelike woman character zenobia in his most realistic story the blithedale romance women above all others should love the fiction which is faithful to life for no other fiction has paid the homage and done the justice due to women or recognized their paramount interest one mrs radcliffe inspired our charles brockton brown just as scott inspired our james fenimore cooper scott of course influenced all europe as richardson and goldsmith had done in their time and until the rise of balzac a whole generation wrote little else but historical novels though in germany the romantic movement eventuated in something that was more purely romance like the undine of de la motte fouquet to a certain extent among the english the romantic impulse resulted in a yet more psychological type of which mrs shelley's frankenstein is a superlative example but in that thin air woman who is far more of this sensible warm motion than man gasped for breath and scarcely a palpable heroine remains to us from all that generation of romancers such diaphanous embodiments as they could give her traits waned more and more into symbols the art of presenting her with her vital charm distinct individual actual as the early realists had known her seemed lost and when a realescent talent like balzac arrived and began to cast about him in everyday life for the bizarre contrasts and eccentricities the surprising accidents and tremendous catastrophes which the romancers had sought afar in remote times and under strange skies he did little to give woman her old importance in fiction the pathetic and beautiful vision of his eugnie rises to reproach me for saying this and i hasten to acknowledge in her a heroine worthy of the best age of fiction but still i think that what i say holds true and that again as with hawthorne the exception proves the rule as for the nautical romance which cooper popularized and which captain marriott carried forward upon the impulse cooper had given him it was still less than the historical or psychological romance the habitat of the true heroine in my time i read every one of marriott's novels but no gleam of a woman's eye or drift of a woman's drapery haunts my remembrance of them cooper could occasionally find use for a female as a captive among his indians and no doubt there were figures which passed for heroines in mary land-going stories until mr clark russell's time however the marine novel was unfavorable to the heroine he alone seems to have had the secret of divining lovely girls on water-logged wrecks of having his heroes marooned with them on palmy islands of the spanish main though it is due to the many-sidedness of charles reed to recall that in foul play which is so largely a sea story there is a heroine of such charm so sweetly and truly a woman that any man would be willing to be cast away with her on a desert coast and very loath to be rescued except in her company Two, we may explain the absence of genuine women in romantic fiction less charitably than i have already explained it and suppose that it was a revulsion from their extreme prevalence in the early realistic fiction or we may allow that in all the more active adventures and more tremendous exigencies a heroine was so difficult to manage that she had to be left out as much as the heroes functional requirement of someone to love would permit in a representation of everyday life she could always very credibly give a good account of herself but in what may be called every other day life she apparently did not know what to do her simple and single device of a falling lifeless as in the case of females of sensibility was soon exhausted and even when in a dead faint she was apt to be a burden on the action the hero had to lug her off either in his arms or on his saddle-bow or else leave her to the villain who could seldom be trusted with the care of a lady the possibilities of the swoon indeed had been pretty well exhausted when the novel began slowly to return to the study of human nature under the ordinary social conditions heroines were confronted with situations to which they were more equal as women and they fainted less as time went on until now a lady falls lifeless in fiction almost as rarely as in life the effect in these matters is largely reciprocal and no doubt the eminence of the swoon in life is due in turn to its disappearance in fiction at any rate fainting is as obsolete as bursting a blood-vessel which used to be so common in novels and the habit of carrying salts which every lady had who wished to pass for a delicate female and which continued till the middle of the century would seem something too funny to her golfing granddaughters who talk of each other as women and share the hearty sports of men the novelists themselves began to find hysterics funny and some employed them to move the mirth of their readers while the heroines of others were still swooning seriously to this day they still burst into tears and choke with sobs but so do women in life and so did men once in the novels of richardson men weep quite as copiously as women and upon as little provocation and possibly one of the few good effects of the novel of adventure was to steel the nerves of the hero at least against the melting mood it may be supposed that in the stress of saving his own life or taking the life of some one else he could not find the moment for bursting into tears or choking with sobs and that he behaved something more like a man from mere pressure of business one may go further than this and imagine that the two schools profited by each other both in the way of warning and the way of example certainly the realescents like balzac and hugo and like bulwer and dickens who followed the romancers copied some of their virtues as well as their faults and if they did not copy all the virtues of the early realists they eschewed most of their faults bulwer and dickens both brought fiction back to the study of life upon terms as novel as their respective points of view were different bulwer was some ten years before dickens in imparting the surprise they each had for his contemporaries and the surprise that bulwer operated in pelham must have been much greater than we can imagine now when we look back and find the story so vulgarly and viciously commonplace under the glare of its worldly splendour he called it the adventures of a gentleman and so it might have been as gentlemen went in those days but now it would rather be called the adventures of a blackguard so much have gentlemen or blackguards since improved in abandoning the fanciful realm of the romancers and returning to the world of actualities bulwer did not return to the unsparing ideal of the first realists and seek the good of his reader by pointing the moral of his tale still less did he conceive of the principle which has vitalized the later realists and leave a faithful study of life in cause and effect to enforce its own lesson in his early fiction we move in a region where the moral law is apparently suspended as it often seems to be in this unhappy world of ours and where good does not follow from good or evil from evil as it finally does to our experience cynical conventions and not the mysterious statutes written in all hearts govern the world in which Henry Pelham adventures and in this malarial this mephitic air the womanly gasps and perishes the literary technique is so much better than scott's the story is so much shapelier the style so much clearer and quicker the diction so much more accurate that one at first feels a certain joy in escaping to it but this soon fades and you find yourself longing for the foolishest page of romance for the worst of scott of cooper of brockton brown of mrs radcliffe as something truer and better after all for these authors at their worst were untrue only to the manifestations of human nature and bulwer at his best misrepresents the surface of life and he is untrue to its essence in the long stretch of his novels from Pelham, which was not the first to my novel which was not the last but which respectively mark the extremes of his ill-doing and well-doing there is an apparent effort to retrieve the primal error the original sin of pelham but one does not feel that bulwer ever quite works out his redemption womanhood at least does not forgive him or it does not countenance his work by its presence so far as to suffer him any memorable heroine i read all his books at that most impressionable time of life when but to name a woman's name is to conjure up a phantom of delight in the young fancy but nothing remains to me now from the multitude of his inventions in the figure of women but the vague image of the blind girl nydia in the last days of pompeii i think this sort of general remembrance or oblivion no bad test in such matters and i feel pretty sure that if bulwer had imagined any other heroine of equal authenticity i should find some trace of her charm in my memory but i find none from the books of an author whom i once thought so brilliant and profound and whom i now think so solemnly empty so impossibly unimportant he was a clever artificer and he is to be credited with doing much to stay the decadence of british prose in fiction and to rebuild the british novel upon shapely lines but in all he has written there is an air of meditated purpose a lack of impulse an absence of spontaneity he meant extremely well by literature he had ideals so tall that he enjoyed something like a moral elevation from them he respected the novelist so highly that he wished to call him the poet and did call him so in his prefaces he was a man of polite learning or at least of scholarly reading he wished always to do better than he did in the lack of artistic instincts he had artistic principles which if mistaken were sincere and with all he was thoroughly mediocre he did not grow as an artist and his last days of pompey which was one of his early novels is one of his best Three, as i have said the blind girl nydia remains to me from the last days of pompey not only chief but almost sole among bulwer's heroines in the sort that heroines outlive the definite recollection of their environment their individuality and sometimes of their very names she is not without rivalry in her native pages there are the greek Ione, whom the hero glaucus loves and the roman julia who loves him and who in the make-up of a pompeian grand dame relumes her baleful fires more distinctly under the old eyes reviewing the scenes of the story on the other hand however the slave-girl has to contend in this later impression with the disadvantages of being a flower-girl now after flower-girls have been done so much but in her day flower-girls in fiction were not yet so faded and she came with such a freshness of appeal to a much simpler-hearted age than this that youth in all ranks of life were touched and won by her the romance in fact had an acceptance as great in its time as we have since given quo Vadis, which it is not saying much to say it surpassed in most essentials and certainly preceded in such interest as the contrasts of late paganism and early christianity always awaken nydia fairly operates the whole action in which the machinery creaks more audibly than it once did but she is imagined upon old-fashioned lines of girlhood which have their charm like milton's ideal of poetry she is simple sensuous passionate and from her first meeting with glaucus the young athenian swell who goes about snubbing the latin civilization at pompeii she loves him he saves her from the scourge of the savage virago who owns her but when he has bought her he sends her to bear the declaration of his love to the beautiful Ione, and nydia has to hear if not to see the tenderness of the lovers the rich julia makes interest with the jealous child and they visit together a potent witch who gives the roman a filter to win her the love of glaucus nydia steals the potion and administers it herself to glaucus he drinks and goes mad and during his frenzy he is implicated in the murder of Ion's brother whom arbaces the egyptian high priest of isis has slain glaucus is condemned to the lions in the arena but nydia contrives to escape from the durance of arbaces and manages the release of the priest Callinus, who has witnessed the murder together they rouse the good voluptuary sallust from the morrow of a debauch and fly with him to the arena glaucus has already been exposed to one lion which has forborne to harm him and has crept back into his cage so that sallust appeals to the ideal in time to save the greek then as is well known the eruption of vesuvius takes place through the storm of fire nydia and glaucus rush to the house of arbaces where ion is imprisoned and the three save themselves from the universal calamity it must be owned that all this is a good deal for one poor thessalian girl a slave and blind to do but she has the author to her friend and she does not fail when her task is finished and she finds herself on the bark which is bearing the reunited lovers back to athens she quietly drowns herself while they are asleep though they profess to live in the first century the characters of the story are naturally nineteenth-century people unless indeed glaucus speaks of nydia in the letter he writes sallust from athens with rather the rhetorical sensibility of the eighteenth our beloved our remembered nydia i have reared a tomb to her shade and i see it every day from the window of my study it keeps alive in me a tender recollection a not unpleasing sadness which are but a fitting homage to her fidelity and the mysteriousness of her early death ion gathers the flowers but my own hand daily wreathes them round the tomb by this time ion must have suspected why and would naturally have limited her gratitude for nydia's self-sacrifice to gathering the flowers if not she must have been less or more a woman than the blind girl whose jealousy of her Is one of the truest things in a book not superabounding in true things the situation is of the stage and for the stage the conception of a slave-girl rescued from a cruel mistress to become the servant of the woman whose lover she loves is not too fine in all bulwer's novels there is a strain which suggests that he would have been a better dramatist or melodramatist than novelist but in the case of nydia at least the execution is not so good as the conception even and it is hard to find a passage which will do the conception justice when glaucus returned to pompeii nydia had told another year of life that year with its sorrows its loneliness its trials had greatly developed her mind and heart nydia felt suddenly and as by revelation that these feelings she had long and innocently cherished were of love sometimes she dreaded lest glaucus should discover her secret sometimes she felt indignant that it should not be suspected it was a sign of contempt her feelings for Ione ebbed and flowed with every hour now she loved her because he did now she hated her for the same cause there were moments when she could have murdered her unconscious mistress moments when she could have laid down her life for her one morning when she repaired to her usual task in the garden she found glaucus under the columns of the peristyle with a merchant of the town he was selecting jewels for his destined bride come hither nydia put down thy vase and come hither thou must take this chain from me stay there i have put it on there servilius does it not become her wonderfully answered the jeweller but when these earrings glitter in the ears of the noble Ione, then by bacchus you will see whether my art adds anything to beauty Ione repeated nydia who had hitherto acknowledged by smiles and blushes the gift of glaucus yes replied the athenian carelessly toying with the gems i am choosing a present for Ione, but there are none worthy of her he was startled as he spoke by an abrupt gesture of nydia, she tore the chain violently from her neck and dashed it on the ground how is this why nydia dost thou not like the bauble art thou offended you treat me ever as a slave and a child replied the thessalian with a breast heaving with ill-suppressed sobs there is nature here almost naturally expressed but if the reader is not willing that the heroine should keep this aspect of petulant jealousy he may take leave of her in that supreme moment when nydia acts more like a heroine and talks altogether like one she has saved glaucus from the lion she has helped him save ione from the egyptian she has guided him half leading half carrying ione to the sea-shore she has done all that a blind girl could do and perhaps more and now the lovers are dreaming away the terrors of yesterday in the early dawn after their escape and the bark on which they have set sail seems to be laying its own course for the piraeus in the silence of the general sleep nydia rose gently she bent over the face of glaucus she inhaled the deep breath of his heavy slumber timidly and sadly she kissed his brow his lips she felt for his hand it was locked in that of ion she sighed deeply and her face darkened again she kissed his brow and with her hair wiped from it the damp of night may the gods bless you athenian she murmured may you be happy with your beloved one may you sometimes remember nydia alas she is of no further use on earth slowly she crept along the foray or platform to the further side of the vessel and passing bent low over the deep the cool spray dashed upward over her fevered brow it is the kiss of death she said it is welcome the balmy air played through her waving tresses and she raised those eyes so tender though sightless to the sky whose soft face she had never seen no no she said half aloud and in a musing and thoughtful tone i cannot endure this jealous exacting love it shatters my whole soul in madness o sacred sea i hear thy voice invitingly they say that in thy embrace is dishonour that thy victims cross not the fatal sticks be it so i would not meet him in the shades for i should meet him still with her rest 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 there is no other elysium for a heart like mine a sailor half dozing on the deck heard a slight splash on the waters drowsily he looked up and behind as the vessel bounded merrily on he fancied he saw something white above the waves but it vanished in an instant it may seem hard that a novelist whose fiction afterwards went so far and wide in the great english world of society and politics should have lodged no other heroine so securely in the memory of his public as she of his early romance but this appears to have been the fate of bulwer yet after all it is no mean achievement she was so well imagined in a time when her type was fresher than now that one's regret is rather for the heroine than the author one wishes that she had been the creature of a talent able to do her full justice in the realisation 10.